Hello, church again. It is so great to see. Are you glad you came today? Yeah, whether you're at Speedway or online or right here in Lenexa, I do want to remind you before I dive back in that he is coming out again. So, um, it, yeah, it's going to be really good, right? It's going to lead us in some worship. So, but I just need you to give me a few minutes, okay? Can I have a few minutes, all right? I got some stuff I really want to tell you. And I, I want to begin by reminding you of, a, of something that happened in our history. There was a guy named Jim Lovell that was one of three astronauts that were a part of the Apollo 8 mission, the first man mission to the moon. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and so when, when they entered into the lunar orbit, uh, they decided to host a live television broadcast, Christmas Eve 1968, where they showed pictures of the Earth and the moon as seen from their spacecraft, right? I mean, I was seven years old, and I was glued to the television, and uh, it was awesome. And then they, out of nowhere, no one knew it was coming, they began to read from the Bible. Jim Lovell starts, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Can you imagine? And then they finish with, and God said, it was good. The microform Bible that they read from recently went up for auction, starting bid $50,000 because it was a big deal. So much so that later NASA told them not to wear their faith on their spacesuit sleeves and uh, halted the practice uh, in future missions. What a shame. Fast forward, April 1970. I'm now nine years old. Jim Lovell joined Fred Hayes and Jack Swigert on the Apollo 13 mission. And a routine turn of an oxygen tank ignited a spark damaging the wire insulation inside it. And as a result, they did not have enough power for breathing or enough power to finish the mission. And so the mission was aborted. Now they moved to the lunar module, which was designed to land on the moon. Now they're moving into it to conserve energy and to provide a lifeboat back to the earth. But that's not the only problem. The lunar, that's not the only problem because the lunar module was designed for two men for two days, but now they needed it for three men for four days. Rut row. But that's not it. Back at the base, back at Mission Control, they identified a series of problems that could occur. I wrote them out. The trajectory may be off. The thrusters may be frozen. The guidance system could malfunction. The heat shield could be cracked. The parachutes might be three blocks of ice. rut row. Other than that, things look pretty promising. Just kidding. Seconds before they hit re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere, Jim Lovell turns to the other two astronauts and he says, gentlemen, it's been a privilege flying with you. What is he saying? He's basically saying, there's nothing else that we can do. There's nothing else that mission control can do. We are now completely 
out of our control. Put yourselves in their spacesuits. This is exactly, precisely what Jesus did when he entered our Earth's atmosphere. Jim Lovell and his friends volunteered for a mission for the first manned mission to space. Jesus likewise volunteered to come to our earth for the purpose of providing the only way for humanity to come back into a relationship with God that was broken back with Adam and Eve in the beginning. In the words of Neil Armstrong, In 1969, this is one small step for a man, but this is one giant leap for mankind. You see, as we saw in our study last week, Jesus emptied himself of control. That when Jesus left the heavens next to the Father, he entered into a spaceship, if you will, that was broken. He wrapped himself in broken human flesh. And as we discovered last week in the study of Scripture, that when Jesus left the heavens next to the Father, he left behind his access to some pretty powerful things. First of all, when Jesus left, what Jesus left behind was his omnipresence which means he could only be while he walked the earth in one place at one time. Secondly, Jesus left behind his omniscience, which means during the 33 years on earth, he did not know everything. He kept himself from access to that knowledge. And thirdly, Jesus left behind his omnipotence, which means he did not have access to his divine power. He has it now, but during the 33 years, he purposely put himself in that position. Why did he volunteer to put himself in such a vulnerable place? Three reasons. Number one, he wanted to identify with our humanity and our weakness. He wanted to put himself into our shoes. Secondly, he came to represent us, humanity, before God and to engage in a massive do-over, a do-over from the mess that Adam made that we all, as a result, now are separated from God. He wanted to do it over again as the second Adam and give us a chance to be born again in association with the new Adam. And number three, he did it. So not only his teaching, but the way he actually lived his life would give us knowledge as to how to tap into the same power that actually and eventually raised him from the dead. Is anybody interested in that? Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the deal. If you want to tap into the same power that Jesus experienced on earth that ultimately raised him from the dead, then you too must be willing to put yourself in a vulnerable position. And as I mentioned last week, this is where we'll lose most of you because most of us are simply not willing to do that. But let me encourage you. Let me motivate you to consider it. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus emptied himself of control, okay? We need to do the same thing, but it's a little bit different. See if you capture it, right? We must empty ourselves of the illusion of control, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, says that Jesus was and now is in control of absolutely everything. 
We, on the other hand, have never been in control of much of anything. It has been an illusion. And yet we walk around as though we are, and it's stressing us out beyond measure. You see, all of us are control freaks at one level or another, right? Some of us are, and we have a hard time giving up control. I want you to turn to your neighbor, wherever you're at, and uh, uh, get, let them know whether or not you're known as a backseat driver or as a driver on the passenger side who's always pushing the imaginary brake, okay? Right? Tell them. Are you one of the? Well, I'll tell you someone who is. Roseanne. <laughs> Roseanne. She has a huge problem, and I'll tell you why. I have been in the driver's seat with her for 44 years, and I have never once been in an accident. You would think by this time she would trust me, but no, but no, she doesn't. You know what? You know what? She needs help. As a matter of fact, let's have a moment of silence for Roseanne right now. And maybe a moment of silence for me because I didn't get permission to tell this story and whoa. So here's the deal. Giving up the illusion of control is super hard for us. But I'm just going to be straight up with you. If you want access to this power, if you're a believer, if you want access to it, you have to take this first step. You can't go on to step two. You have to take this first step. So I'm going to tell you how to do it, and then you decide for yourself whether or not you want this access, okay? So how to do it. So let me, in, in, in giving you the how-to, let me ask you another question. How many times does the Bible encourage us to fear not? Some of you know the answer, 365 times. So it appears as though this spiritual discipline of fearing not is not a one and done kind of thing, but rather to something we must engage in every single day, a spiritual discipline. Now in the book, His Mighty Strength, I make reference in this particular chapter uh, to one of those 365 occasions where Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. He is fast asleep. I wonder if Jesus snored. I don't know, I'm just thinking that. He's fast asleep. And a storm breaks out. Jesus is still asleep, and the disciples are afraid. And Jesus is going to invite them not to be afraid, to fear not, because he was in the boat with them. So what I want to do is I want to give you a second of the 365 times that we're encouraged to fear not. And we're going to journey back to the Old Testament with a young man by the name of David. Some of you know his story. He was 16 years old, and he's minding his own business. He's out tending to his father's flock of smelly sheep when out of nowhere, he didn't ask for it, he's brought in back to the homestead and without much notice, the next thing that happens to him is that oil is pouring down his head. The prophet Samuel has just anointed him as the next king of Israel. But when this happens, something unexpected takes place in the life of David. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 30. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And here it is. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. 
The same Spirit, Holy Spirit, that came down upon Jesus at his baptism and remained with him is the same Holy Spirit that is now coming upon David and empowering his life. So much so that the very next story, David is in a battle with a nine-foot Philistine giant by the name of Goliath. He has no armor, he has no sword, he has a slingshot, and with a single stone, he takes the giant out. Point of the story, it wasn't the slingshot. It was the power of the spirit within him. Well, we learn pretty quickly that King Saul, who's going to remain as king by the design of God for the next 14 years. David is anointed king, but he won't be inaugurated as king, become king for 14 years, because God's going to use Saul's jealousy to train up and to equip David for the assignment of shepherding the nation of Israel. And so King David becomes jealous of David's power and popularity, and he is determined to kill him. So at the age of 16, when we're just getting our driver's license and we're dreaming of senior prom, David is on the run as a fugitive, 14 years. In one of the places where he arrives is the city of Gath. Yeah, the mainland of the Philistines. And he is seized by the king of the Philistines. The one who just lost his number one giant soldier at the hand of this punk teenager. And to make matters worse, the city he had just came from is a city called Nob, where the priest there gives David the sword of Goliath. It was, it, was, it was there, and David asked for a weapon, and he gave him the sword of Goliath. So here is David, a young man, standing before the king of the Philistines. He's under siege, and he's looking up at him with the sword of Goliath. And the Bible says that David was afraid. No kidding, right? Wouldn't you be? David feels like Jim Lovell and his friends about to re-enter the earth's atmosphere in a broken vessel. We are told that he has to make a move. What is he going to do? Here's what he decided to do. He decided to pretend that he was insane. Yeah, I'm not lying. You can't make this stuff up, right? 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 13. While he was in their hands, he acted like a madman making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Which is why I don't have a beard. I mean, saliva on a beard is not a good look. And all the women said, amen, right? So, so that's what, men, that's what's bright notes. Um, so that's what he did on the outside. But did you ever wonder what was going on in his mind on the inside? Wouldn't that be nice to know? The reality is we do know. And it is preserved for us in the book of Psalms. It says that he prayed. During this encounter, he prayed, and he wrote that prayer down in a lament psalm. A psalm of lament is a psalm, is a prayer that you give to God when you're in a stressful situation. This one qualifies. And this is what he prayed. I'm just going to read verses 3 and 4 because it has the nugget we need. Here it is. He's standing before the king. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. 
In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? David admits he's afraid. He starts by admitting to God he's afraid, and then he immediately transfers his fear and his trust to God, who is bigger than his fears, which is becoming a major accidental theme at Westside because maybe God needs us to hear this over and over again. He says, what can mere mortals do to me? By the way, he didn't just rehearse it in this stressful moment. But all you have to do is read the Psalms, just the lament Psalms of David, and you will see he was a 365-dayer. He constantly, daily went to God and said, I'm afraid, but I'm going to transfer my fear to my trust in you. And this is the same conclusion Jesus was trying to get the disciples to come to when they were in that boat and in that storm. And for years, I always assumed the reason why Jesus wasn't afraid of the storm is because he's God. And the truth is, he is God. But in this moment, during this 33 years, he put himself in a vulnerable position and he gave up control over all things. And so, He is relying on the power of the Father and the Holy Spirit to control nature according to their will. And then he turns and invites not only the disciples, but today he is inviting you and I to do the same thing. But it's hard. So here's the principle today, if you're taking notes, this is the big takeaway, here's the action step. We can empty ourselves of the illusion of control when we trust that God is bigger than our fears. There it is. Easy to write down, super hard to do. I write in my book, His Mighty Strength, Jesus invites his followers to give up the illusion that we have control over what happens to us and then entrust our life to the only one who is actually stronger than the storms that we face. So I got this. I borrowed this from somebody, and they want it back after the service. It's a $20 bill. And I have to say that many of us, we put our trust in this. And if we have a lot of it, we feel even better. And I'm not pointing fingers in it. I mean, it's, it's hard not to trust this. But I'm telling you, if your trust is in this, it's going to do you virtually no good. And that's why Dwight Eisenhower in 1956 made a brilliant move with American currency. He added on to the back of every dollar bill and every coin this phrase. You got it? In God we trust and only a fool would ever seek to take that off of this and all the church said amen Amen. so now how do we do this (laughs) how do we do this okay i have not found anything probably as practical as the serenity prayer now some of you may have never heard of the serenity prayer you likely will recognize it when i put it up if those of you who are coming out of an addiction you have You have banked your life on the principles of the serenity prayer. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to invite you to say it out loud with me here, Speedway, and online. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to think the things I can change, 
and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, let's start off with this. The reality is God has wired you in such a way that you can control some things. And those things he's given you, it is your responsibility to control. I listed a number of them on page 44 of the book. Here's just a a listing. Getting a good night's sleep, that's within your control. Eating healthy, exercising, practicing good personal hygiene, having strong, healthy relationships, nurturing your spiritual life, getting an education, going to work, managing your money wisely, avoiding unhealthy relationships, and avoiding drugs and illegal substances. God has given you the power to actually control these things, to be disciplined, a word we need to hear a little bit more of in America. You need to be more disciplined. And here's the deal, that if you do not discipline yourself to control the things you can control, then what's gonna happen is the lack of control is gonna take these things and put you into a difficult situation that you cannot control. And when that happens, don't play the American victim card. Don't play the American blame game card like someone else made you do this, like your mom or your dad. It's your fault. If you don't practice personal hygiene, like flossing your teeth, Cause, effect, your teeth are going to fall out. If you, if you don't like wipe the saliva off your beard, cause, effect, you're never going to get a date. <laughs> and the truth is, more on a more serious note, yeah, in the very, very beginning, you have the control of not putting yourself around unhealthy relationships and introducing yourself to unhealthy substances. But at some point, if you do, if you lack the discipline and control there, it's going to get out of control and you're going to find yourself with an addiction that is way beyond you. So the things you can control, control, church. But then there's this list of things we can't control. And these are the big ones. And we're being asked to let up, give up control over those things. I'm going to just give you a list of them. The arrival of a global pandemic. Man, if you could have controlled that and you didn't let us know, you need to come see me after the service, right? (laughs) The betrayal of a friend or a family member. That's what happened to me. I didn't see it coming. I'm not sure if I saw it coming, I could have controlled it happening. The weather, the economy, your genetics. Here's one. The outcome of your children. Did you hear that? The outcome of your children. You can't control that. You can pretend. Another person's behavior. Did you hear that? You can't control another person's behavior. You can't control another driver. Roseanne. (laughs) You can't control an airplane if you're not the pilot. You can't control an addiction once it's grabbed you by the throat. And you can't control death. And we got a reminder of that just two days ago in our family. We got a call from Roseanne's younger sister. Her husband, who's on a diet, was out on a jog and had a massive heart attack at the age of 58, and he died. Roseanne lost her younger brother this year to Marco cell carcinoma, a rare and wicked cancer, and now we have lost the brother-in-law, and it just doesn't feel like we have many people left. And you know what? There's nothing I could have done to stop it. And so we ask for God to give us Give us the courage to, to change the things that we can and control the things we can and to just know the difference between the things we can and cannot control. 
So how does one go about practically turning over control to God? And what I want to do is I want to invite you into a spiritual discipline that I do every day because I am a desperate man. I'm not as strong as you think, but I rely on God. And, and so what I'm going to ask you to do is uh, to stand to your feet here in Lenexa, Speedway, even online. I know you're in your pajamas, but you can still stand up. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, okay? Uh, and the reason I'm doing that is I just want this between, be between you and God. I don't want this to be a public thing in any way between you and God. And you have the choice. You can engage it if you don't want to, if you want to. But if you decide, no, I'm really not in on this. I'm kind of on the outskirts. I'm still kicking the tires on this God Jesus thing. That's okay. Just, just kind of keep your hands in your pocket. But for those of you who are kind of wanting, who are believing the scriptures today, what, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to take your, your hands and I want you to clench them into a fist as tight as you can. And then as soon as you get it as tight as you can, I want you to squeeze a little harder and let the tension run up your arm as your body connects with the brokenness in your spirit. A little harder. Keep it. Now tell God the fear, the tension, the worry, the anxiety that you're experiencing. Tell him, lay your request before him. Keep it tight, a little harder. Now I want you to turn your palms upward and slowly open them and release the tension. Did you feel that? Acknowledge your inability to deal with what you're facing in your own power. Now what I want you to do is I want you to take a deep breath. Trust me in this. Ready? Now I want you to say out loud with me, truth be told, God, I am powerless to handle this in my own strength. I desperately need your help. Okay, now I want you to take your open palms that are faced upwards, and I want you to turn them down. This symbolizes that you are letting go of all you have been holding on to. You are turning your burden over to God. It's now his problem. And I want you to say this prayer out loud with me. God, I am trusting in you and you alone to see me through this. I want you to stay in this for just a moment. Don't rush out of it. Take another deep breath. Let it out. And let the Spirit of God who is within you, as Matthew sang earlier, let the Spirit of God remind you that you are a child of God because that is who you are. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. So whatever happened to Jim Lovell and his three friends? Well, they enter into the Earth's atmosphere, and it takes about three minutes to enter and get through it. And no spacecraft in history ever exceeded more than four minutes. So when the clock in mission control hit four minutes, you could feel the hope just exiting, being sucked out of mission control in every home in the world. When the clock hit five minutes, all hope 
is but lost. But when the clock hit six minutes, bursting through the heavens came this capsule and all the parachutes opened up and Jim Lovell said, hello, Houston, this is Odyssey. It's good to see you again. The anniversary of that experience was April the 17th, 1970. Yesterday, we celebrated the 51st year of that event. And today, Jim Lovell is 92 years old. It all worked out. So how about you? How's things gonna work out for you? My encouragement to you is to turn over the illusion of control to God. And every single day, give up this tireless, on-call, 24-7 job of trying to pretend that you can control the uncontrollable things of your life and turn it over the one who more than 44 years has proven to be trustworthy. And if you do, I promise you, you're going to be happy at the ultimate outcome of your life. And you just might enjoy the journey along the way. One more time. And all the church said, amen. Amen.